0: Goodness, it got quiet all of a sudden. Good morning. It's still quiet in here. Good morning.
1: <laughs>
0: Hello. Good to see y'all. Well, how many of you are happy with the, the weather change? Yeah. Amen. All in favor say aye. Any opposed? <laughs> Just wait around. It'll, it'll change again. It's Well, I wish it was. At any rate, because I'm ready to get rid of Sydney, at any rate, um, no. That's unusual for a Sunday morning. Never, um, the weather has changed, but God has not changed. Um, he is the, the Hebrews. It says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Um, he is one who saves, like Paul said last week in First Timothy, the foremost of sinners. Um, He sheds his grace on people like you and I that don't deserve it. I I saw a post this last week. uh, It was attributed to Charles Spurgeon, and it said this. God split the veil in the temple from top to bottom so that big sinners like me could get in. Uh, That's a good word right there. That's something to celebrate, and that's why we're here this morning, to celebrate uh, the risen Savior, the empty tomb, the salvation that's in Jesus Christ. You're going to hear songs about Calvary and about Jesus, about the cross. Uh, and so let those words this morning just wash over you and remind you how much we have to sing about. Uh, before we get started singing, I just want to give you a few announcements, a few updates, and things you can get involved with. Uh, first of all, uh, the fellowship hall will be reserved this Thursday night, so make sure if you had any Plans and need to be there. Uh, it's going to, what time? 6.30? From 6.30 on uh, that evening. So just make sure that, well, you're welcome to come to the to the graduation party, right? Yes. Okay. But then uh, next Sunday, we will have a, a Lord's Supper service. Uh, it will be our fifth Sunday schedule. So we'll have the Lord's Supper during worship. We'll enjoy fellowship over lunch after worship. And then we'll watch a movie in the fellowship hall at 530 Again, that night. Um, We do have some other upcoming opportunities for you to be involved. Our Arctic Barnabas Blessing Boxes. It's almost time to send out another round of those. If you're interested in helping out, uh, there's a box in the foyer. You can see what kind of items they're looking for uh, to be donated, and then you can put those in the box out there. Also, Vacation Bible School is coming up. I can't believe it. It's three weeks from today. Uh, and we're going to have a different kind, a different theme. It's this theme is from um, Answers in Genesis. It's called Zoomerang and we're going to talk to students, uh, the kiddos, about sanctity of life. And so, I hope you'll you'll want to be involved with that. It's for students that are in kindergarten through fifth grade. So, I uh, hope you'll be able to to come to that. Make sure, kiddos, if you know uh, people that would want to come, uh, invite them. We certainly want to have them come and. VBS is in the evening, right? What time again? 5.30 to 8.05. 5.30 to 8.05. Had to put the 05 on there. Okay, good. We're precise. Good. Uh, but then also, finally, uh, late next month, our church is going to have another opportunity. We always take this opportunity to serve the folks at Mission San Saba. You know, They, they always have a house that they redo and uh, we will provide a meal for the volunteers at Mission San on June 24th. So if you're interested in helping in any way, just make sure you talk to, to Barbara or Sue, and, uh, and they'll get you pointed in the right direction. Are there any other announcements we need to make before we have our call to worship? All right. If you would, please stand. We'll have our call to worship together. Um, I'll begin reading, and you come and join in with me, and we'll read the underlined portion together. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. Let's worship together.
2: Rats. Okay. Transaurus Okay, how about over here? Transaurus Okay, so y'all are capable of big words, right? Anybody, can anybody say supercalifragilisticexpialidocious? Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> okay, okay. So I'm trying to make a point that I'm dealing with some smart kids here, right? I've always thought that children So smart. In fact, when my three little boys, where's Walker this morning? Out of town. Okay. When my three little boys were just about Walker's age, and I mean, they could say mama and dada and a few other words, I taught them to say, my vocabulary is fantastic, but my grammar is atrocious. (laughs) that's the first sentence they ever (laughs) learned. So I have a word to teach you this morning, and I'm sure one or two of you probably already know it, but it's a funny thing. When you learn a new word, you start to hear it all the time, so I would stake my life on the fact that you're going to hear this word this morning. How many of you know what a mediator is? I told you one or two. One? Okay, everybody got that. How many sons did he have?
1: 21.
2: One. So there's one God and one son. And what was his name? Okay, I think we're probably going to hear this verse this morning. This is in the book of 1 Timothy. I'm not trying to upstage you here, but it says, For there is one God and one mediator. Also, Between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So in this verse of scripture, it tells us that Jesus Christ is a mediator. So we need to know what that word means so we can understand what Pastor Shannon is talking about this morning. If you have uh, two people who have a disagreement and they just can't come to, they can't uh, live in peace together. A mediator can come between them and make peace. And so the Bible says Jesus Christ is our mediator between us and God. There's a reason that we are not at peace at God because God is perfectly holy, and we're not, are we? We are all sinful. So Jesus is a mediator in fact the bible says he is our peace he comes and he makes peace between god and us so let me hear you say mediator Mediator. again Mediator. mediator so i want you to listen really closely this morning because i think you'll probably hear the word mediator okay let's pray Father, Lord, we just praise you this morning. We thank you for this wonderful, cool weather. Father, we ask you to just bless us with rain. And, Father, I ask you to just bless these children this morning with your word. Help them to understand, even at their age, what you have to teach us through your word. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ who came and died to make peace us with you. In his name we pray. Amen.
3: If you will turn in your copy of God's Word to Psalm 118.
4: If y'all would, if you wanted to follow along, it's Psalms 118 verses 1 through 8. It says, Praise to God for his everlasting mercy is the main topic. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for his good, for his mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say, His mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron now say, His mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord now say, His mercy endures forever. I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man.
3: said in the children's sermon we need a mediator and we want you to be glorified in us so as we sing this next song father we pray that you're that you would envelop the praises of your people that you would change hearts in this place today in the name of jesus we pray
1: let's stand together roll.
3: Father, everything we came in here with that we thought was worthy to bring before you is just garbage. We forsake all of those things, all of our good deeds, all of our ownership, all of the things that we find value in. For they are nothing compared to the cross of Christ. So this morning, Father, lead our hearts to repentance. Repentance. That we may grow and become more like your son. In the name of Jesus Christ alone we pray. And God's people say. Amen.
0: If you would please take your copy of God's word. And turn to the book of 1st Timothy. Uh, We'll be continuing Sermon series in First Timothy will be in 1 Timothy chapter 2 today, it's verses 1 through 8. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, uh, you should find one in the pew somewhere around you. If you'll turn to the back and find page 163, uh, you will be right where you need to be, uh, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8. If you would please stand for the reading of God's word. This is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And this is God's word. First of all, then I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I am not lying. As a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Let's pray together. Lord God, open this scripture to our hearts. Uh, Show us how important it is, how vital it is, how um, it's just unavoidable that if we want to be a people that contend for the faith, that we will have to contend prayerfully. And so open our hearts to see the connections uh, the connection between contending well for the faith and prayer. And Lord, as we leave here today, in a, in a little while, uh, may we be stirred up once again to prayer. May we once again be reminded of its power and the fact that we are commanded to pray. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. As an apostle, Paul himself, as 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 a person. Then also it shows up in his ministry. Paul is unapologetically focused on three things. First of all, he's focused on the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you read his letters at all, you will find that Paul is unapologetically focused on Jesus Christ. But not only is he unapolog- unapologetically focused on Jesus Christ, he's also unapologetically focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. You'll be hard-pressed to find anywhere in Paul's letters where he does not elevate the person and work of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ as what is the only thing that can save sinners. And finally, Paul is unapologetically focused on the church of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the church is God's plan A, not God's plan B, for the world to know the good news about the person and work of Jesus Christ. So it's these three things that Paul is unapologetically focused on that causes him, that motivates him to write this letter to Timothy. And in this letter, he's addressing particular concerns in the Ephesian church and also in writing this letter, he's guiding Timothy, who is his apostolic delegate, to go there and to, uh, to work on these particular concerns. And he wants to guide Timothy's ministry. Timothy is still young. We'll find out uh, later on uh, that Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, you know, don't let people look down on you because you're young. And so Paul, realizing this, he pins his good friend, his partner in ministry, this letter. So that Timothy is well equipped to address these concerns and to exercise the ministry that Paul gave him. And that Paul gave him under the authority of God himself so that, so that Timothy might look out for this church. Paul has particular concerns that he's addressing in Ephesus. And his first concern is this. He's concerned about doctrine that diminishes the work of Jesus Christ. In 1 Timothy 1, verses 1 through 11, Paul tells Timothy, Stay on at Ephesus. There are certain men there that they are teaching strange teachings. They're getting all caught up in myths and endless genealogies, and it's giving rise to mere speculation. And in doing so, it takes the people at Ephesus, it takes their eyes off of Christ Jesus and onto something that diminishes the person and work of Jesus. So Paul's in his, his encouragement for Timothy is Timothy contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. Contend for the pure doctrine of the church. It's apostolic. It, it came from Christ Jesus through the apostles. And as such it is authoritative. It's aimed at its own preservation. We don't get to take it and in our day modernize it. Get it up to date with the times. It's been handed down to us. We must preserve it as it is intended to be preserved. So Timothy, contend for the faith. Tell these elders to stop teaching this garbage. The second thing that Paul's concerned about is duty that's disconnected from the power of Jesus Christ. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12-20, through 20, Paul reminds Timothy of his very own testimony, so that Timothy will keep that in mind as he contends for the pure doctrine of the church, for the, for the faith. Paul himself is a living example of the power of Jesus Christ. He says about himself that he's the foremost of sinners. He's formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor. And yet Jesus Christ... Saved this foremost of sinners with grace that was more than abundant. He showed Paul mercy. He demonstrated perfect patience and made Paul an example of the power of Jesus unto eternal life. And he even went one step further. He put this foremost of sinners into his service. I believe Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, not only contend for the faith, that's your duty but contend well for the faith. Contend with grace and gospel hope, knowing, Timothy, that if God can change me and give me this kind of testimony, those men that you're having to confront in the church, He can change them too. Timothy, fight with groundedness. Remember, you're not having to, to create good ground from which to fight. You have been given good ground upon which to fight the good fight. And Timothy, contend without giving in. Preserve the purity of the church. And then a third of Paul's concerns we get to this morning. Paul's concerned with devotion to the church that's distracted from the mission of Jesus. This morning we see in 1 Timothy 2 1 through 8 Paul's heart for Christ. We see his heart for the church and for the world. It's on full display. Paul makes no excuses about being gospel centered, Jesus centered, world centered. It's from this heart of conviction that Paul urges Timothy to guide the church and even himself to make use, full use, of one of the church's most powerful weapons. And the weapon he's talking about is prayer. Timothy, Paul would say, Contend prayerfully. See, in verse 1, the very first words first of all, then I urge. That word then connects. What Paul is about to say about prayer to contending in the previous instruction in chapter 1. So Timothy, contend, well, contend for the faith, contend well, but there's more to it. He says in verse 1, again, first of all, I urge. First of all, indicating this is a top priority. Urge, Paul says, meaning this is urgent. It's an urgent top priority. So this is why this morning's sermon is called Contending, because it connects back to chapter 1. It's called contending prayerfully because of what Paul is telling Timothy. So to contend prayerfully, there's five things I want to point out briefly. First of all, to contend prayerfully means we must pray situationally. I want you to notice what Paul says in verse 1. First of all, then I urge that in treaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings, he lists four different types of prayers. Now, before you rush, if you write notes, you're thinking, Brother Shan's going to tell me what each of these words mean. And I'll do it briefly. But I'll tell you right up front, scholars are divided over whether or not these four words make distinctions in type of prayer such that it's a real difference. You know, you know what I'm saying? It can be a distinction without a difference. Now, I think we would see that Thanksgiving is different from the first three. But in treaties, a way to say that is supplications, requests. There's needs. That we're bringing before God. Prayers. Just general prayers for assistance and blessing. Petitions. Simply means that you're interceding. You're pleading for someone else. And Thanksgiving I think we all understand that. We're thanking God for all the benefits we receive from Him. But I think what Paul's doing here. Is he's reminding us. Timothy. But then us as well. Is that there is a type of prayer for every kind of situation. And God has blessed us with the book of Psalms and and with Scripture itself to help us to know, to take the Word of God and to pray it in particular situations. In fact, Psalm 118 is a thanksgiving psalm. Roddy read it this morning. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, His loving kindness is everlasting. If there's ever times when you feel like you need to lament, Psalm 7, O Lord my God, in You I have taken refuge. Save me from all those who pursue me and deliver me. Or He will tear my soul like a lion, dragging me away while there is none to deliver. Psalm 135 is a psalm of praise. Praise the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise Him, O servants of the Lord, you who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praises to His name, for it is lovely. See, we are equipped to pray. And we should pray as believers in contending prayerfully. Each type of prayer in this list with a situational awareness. We're called and we're equipped to pray in all kinds of ways. About all kinds of situations. So to contend prayerfully we must pray situationally. Knowing what type of prayer to pray in which situation. Not only that, Paul advises... That we pray expansively. To contend prayerfully. We must pray expansively. Again in verse 1. First of all then I urge. That entreaties and prayers. Petitions and thanksgivings. Be made on behalf of. All men. Then he goes on to say in verse 2. For kings and all who are in authority. We must pray expansively. More than just. inside our own little circle. We're to pray on behalf of all men. Paul says that when he says be, that these types of prayer be made on behalf of all men, he's talking about the church. And when he says men, it's not leaving out ladies there. That word is often translated in other translations because it is a broader term for people. Notice that Paul says, and he says this, not just once, but seven times in this text, the word all, for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. Four times in the text, that word all is referring to, verse 1, all men or people. Verse 2, all who are in authority. In verse 4, again, all men, referring to all people. And then in verse 6, ransom for all. We are to pray For all men. But then Paul puts a little bit of a finer point on it in verse 2. When he says, not only for all men, but but also for kings and all who are in authority. By kings, of course, we would understand. He's talking about governments here. But he's talking more than just about governments. He goes on to say, all who are in authority. Authorities outside the church. Local leaders. Judges. Magistrates, councils, those outside the church that are in a position of authority. But then also, I think contextually, those who are in authority also refers to authorities inside the church. Remember what Timothy's dealing with. He's dealing with men who are teaching strange doctrines. And I don't know about you, but I don't think Timothy's going to be able to just waltz right in and say, Hey, y'all need to stop that. And those guys go, Oh, okay. I think it's going to be a little more difficult than that. So Paul is saying, I think, Timothy, it's crucial for you to pray for authorities. Lead the church to pray for authorities outside the church and inside the church. Now, I don't think Paul believed that simply his instruction by itself, passed along by Timothy to this church, was going to stop what was going on there. You may disagree with this, but I don't think prayer alone was going to do it. See, God gave Timothy a mission through Paul. He said, go and instruct these men to stop teaching strange doctrines, but do so prayerfully. So it's a matter of, I have a mission, and then there's a method. I must contend prayerfully. So Paul is encouraging and exhorting Timothy to lead from what we might see as a combination of convictional leadership and prayer. We can say it this way. Timothy, church, pray in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of situations, for all people in all spheres of life. To contend prayerfully also, thirdly, we must pray purposefully. Notice in verse 2. For kings and all who are in authority. And then the next two words. So that. That provides the purpose For which we pray. Paul says. So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life. In all godliness and dignity. That word for tranquil. The Greek word. It talks about. It describes the absence of external trouble. So here we understand why it's so important. For Timothy himself to pray. And to lead the church to pray. That there will be societal leaders who will uh, work so that turmoil and civil unrest do not make life harder for Christians. Now, aren't we blessed beyond belief that we live in a place where life is not hard on Christians? Anybody have to pass a checkpoint today on the way to church? Anybody knock on your door in the middle of the night checking to see if you had a Bible in your possession? of course not. And I don't say that to berate us, just to remind us of how grateful and thankful that we should be. And I believe we are. I don't doubt that for a second, that you're not thankful. You are. But still, we're not guaranteed that this is going to continue. We must pray for societal leaders so that turmoil and civil unrest don't make life harder for us. But then quiet is a word that describes... Not the absence of external trouble, but the absence of internal trouble. I believe again this is Paul guiding Timothy contextually. Not only should we pray for the absence of internal trouble, but he says so that we may lead a quiet, a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness. And dignity. It's not just about the absence of something, but about the presence of something, the presence of godliness and dignity, of of seriousness inside the church. So not only are we to pray for church for, for leaders outside of church, we're to pray for leaders inside of the church so that they can address internal issues, troubles within the church in order to promote godly and dignified living. Now notice what Paul says in verse 3, describing all of what he just described in verse 2. He says, this is good and acceptable. It's pleasing in the sight of, and notice the words, God our Savior. You see, situational, expansive, purposeful prayer pleases God our Savior. This is the second time. Go back to chapter 1, verse 1, and you'll see that Paul said, talks about God in this way, God our Savior. I believe this proves the use of this term that Paul, and, and also he's taking cues from God the Father, it proves that he's concerned with more than just church doctrine. He's concerned with more than just church practice, more than just good governments that promote the flourishing of its citizens. No, Paul has a greater purpose in mind. It's not his. It's God's greater purpose, which leads us to the fourth way where to pray. To contend prayerfully, we must pray evangel- evangelistically. In verses 4 through 7, Paul reminds us that God desires all people to be saved. He has put Christ forth as the one mediator between God and man, who paid the ransom for all, that all who come to Him in repentance and faith may receive salvation. So God has, again, in verse 7, Paul reminds us, God appointed Paul to be an apostle and a preacher and a teacher of the Gentiles. That brings us to verse 8. Therefore... He's going back and he's saying, because of what God has done in Christ to make the gospel a reality for sinners. And because God has called me to be an apostle and a preacher and a teacher. Therefore, I want the men in every place to pray. I think we know this. Evangelism is a work of obedience. but It's also, above all else, it is a work of of the Lord in the hearts of people. Yes, we know that we we must share, but we must pray. Because God, our Savior, desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, then we pray for the conversion of all people. We're indiscriminate in how we pray here. Because, as verse 5 says, there's only one God, only one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus We pray that all people, everyone, would come to know God through this one mediator. And because, as verse 6 says, Jesus Christ gave himself as a ransom for all, we pray, we must pray, that all people, all people would be released from the bondage of their sins through faith in Christ Jesus. Because Paul himself again says he was appointed as a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. And because God continues to appoint people for gospel work, we pray for the gospel ministry. See, we're to pray for the work of the gospel, and we're to pray for gospel workers. We're to pray in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of situations, for all people. In all spheres of life, we're to pray for government leaders, for church leaders, and all of this for the overarching purpose of seeing the world evangelized. We have to talk about that. the last phrase of verse 8. And I can't stress to us how incredibly important those words are. If we're going to contend prayerfully, we must pray Effectively. Look again in verse eight. It says, "Therefore, I want the men." It's not leaving out women, but there's a word there, particularly that talks about the men. Perhaps Paul is indirectly, because of the, and I say this because of the tone. This is not a confrontational book. Perhaps he is um, kind of indirectly saying, "I want, I want these elders, these strange teachers teaching strange things. I want them to pray." In these ways. But notice how he says it lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. John MacArthur, in his study Bible, has a great footnote about verse 8, and he says Paul is not emphasizing a specific posture necessary for prayer, but rather a prerequisite for effective prayer. The prerequisite for effective prayer is a righteous life. And perhaps in this particular situation, Paul knows that in this church there is wrath and dissension. Now think of the irony of that. Mary Catherine did a great job this morning talking about a mediator. A mediator is one that helps to broker peace between individuals who are in conflict with one another. We have a mediator in Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom For all people, so that people could come to the knowledge of the truth and become saved. We have a mediator. But how often the church can, and I want to say this with the same kind of tone that Paul does. I don't want this to come across as confrontational at all. How a church can act as if it's forgotten about how the mediator has led us. We, we be more than willing to accept peace from our mediator, but we're not as willing to work toward peace in the church. Why is this so important? Well, before I get to that, Paul says in verse 8, that they're to pray without wrath and dissension. Wrath is a Greek word that describes a feeling of intense anger that does not subside. It's associated with strong displeasure. Dissension describes a person who loves to dispute or argue. And that arises from the thinking of an evil heart. And again, I think that Paul is addressing specific concerns in the church at Ephesus. However, I think we could all agree that this admonition lands as squarely on the 21st century church as it does on the 1st century church. So here's a question. What happens when God's people lift up holy hands that aren't really holy? That are filled with wrath and dissension? Psalm sixty-six eighteen: 18. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Isaiah 1.15. Go back some point today and read Isaiah 1. You'll see that there's. it will help you understand this. But God says to His people through Isaiah, He's already talked to them about, you show up and you, and you have all these sacrifices, you have all these festivals and things, and, and it's just religion. And yet, your own people, you don't look out for. In fact, Instead of looking out for them, you harm them in various ways. So God says, so when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. So let's put this into perspective. Let's say that, and I, let's let's use us, okay? Let, let's make this as practical as humanly possible, okay? Let's say that we as a church, we stand as mediators to the world. You know, we have been because it's, it's in 1 Corinthians um, 14, 13, I'm forgetting where, where we are ambassadors for Christ. We're calling people to reconciliation, right? And Paul is enjoining Timothy and us to pray. All kinds of ways for all kinds of people for the overarching purpose of seeing the world come to Christ. And yet within our hands is wrath and dissension. What have we done? We have jerked the rug out from under ourselves. We've hindered prayers. (coughs) Prayers that are crucial for us making the world aware that there is a mediator who holds out hope for peace between you and God. That's why this is so important we understand that we can pray in all these different kind of ways but if we don't pray effectively. Well, as we come to a time of, of, of closing I, I don't want to skip over the fact that verses 5 and 6, Paul talks about the mediator. The reason that people need a mediator is because there is a lack of peace. There's conflict in between the people. And there is conflict between God and sinners. You may not believe this, but in the Psalms, God says, I hate sinners. He says that. If you, if you want me to help you find it, I'll help you find it. That, that's hard for us to accept. Don't be quick to brush off, oh, God hates the, the sin, but He loves the sinner. It doesn't say, I, God, hate sin. It says, I, I hate sinners. I hate the wicked ones. Now, that doesn't sound real positive. It doesn't sound like there's peace between God and sinners. But what did God do? He said that there is one mediator, one person who can come and make peace so that... Holy God and sinful people can be brought together in a relationship that before this happened would be impossible. Now I want to tell you, even though I just said God hates (coughs) sinners, I want you to look at these verses. Ezekiel 18, 23. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, rather than that he should turn from his ways and live? God doesn't want wicked people to die. For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord. Therefore, repent and live. Jesus Himself. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. First Timothy 4.10 For it is, it is for this that we, we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Titus 2.11 For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Second Peter 2 Peter 2.9, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. This is the message of the gospel that God has put forward in Christ Jesus a mediator, whereby sinful human beings and a holy God can be brought into a right relationship. And the only way that that's able to happen is for God to send His Son become incarnate, to become the God-man, to take our flesh and our sin upon Him at the cross, for Him to die, for Him to make full payment for the price for sin, to be raised on the third day, so that everyone will know that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's only one God, Paul says, and only one mediator, and if you want to be saved, It is to Him and through Him alone that you will find salvation. Friends, that's our mission. But let's do our dead level best. Not only to pray for the lost, but to do all that we can to ensure that our prayers are heard. Perhaps today, you need to make up with someone. I don't know. But if that's what's standing between you and the effectiveness of your prayers, hear this from a pastoral heart. Do you want that on your conscience? Really, do you want that on your conscience? I pray that you don't and I'm 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 sure that you don't. I realize I've gone long but let me pray real quick and then we'll sing uh, and then we'll have a time of, uh, another time of prayer will be dismissed. Father, we are grateful for the power of your word. We're grateful that you have called us. First of all, through our one and only mediator Jesus Christ, you've called us to salvation. You desire all men to be saved and become and come to acknowledge the truth. We thank you that not only that, you've made us ambassadors. Uh, as it were, we, we point people to the mediator. You've called us to pray. So Lord, help us to be faithful in all the areas that to which this particular text calls us today, and to do so not for our own glory, but for yours and for the sake of the lost. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand. We'll sing Open the Eyes of My Heart. Lord, if there's a time during this, this time that you need to make any sort of decision, I encourage you to do so as we sing together. Seated for just a brief moment, I don't know of any real. Uh, well, I know of one update. Bruce Sarapaka uh, at some point on the horizon is going to have to have heart surgery, um, and so pray for Bruce. Uh, he's been on our heart in our prayers recently, uh, but uh, this last week he had an angiogram, and so there's just some more um, challenges ahead for him, so we need to pray for him. I don't know of any details uh, about when uh, his surgery is going to be. Timothy and Clarissa are supposed to be here next week, so
1: yay.
0: Um, Any other updates? I don't really know of any other updates from folks on the list. Anyone have any updates to share or any prayer requests that you want to share with the... Yes, ma'am? Okay, so Sylvia Acuff is, uh, is in rehab now. Thank you, Sue. Six weeks of rehab, okay. Two to six weeks, thank you. Anyone else? All right. Well, let's stand. We'll have a time of prayer. Uh, I would like to guide this last time of prayer uh, toward what Paul said about praying for kings and all who are in authority. And so, if you'll just pray along with me, uh, we'll lift up our authorities to the Lord. Father, we thank you uh, for the privilege of being able to pray for kings and for all who are in authority. Lord, we recognize that we are truly blessed to live in the country in which we live. Hallelujah for for freedom, for freedom to worship, uh, for so many wonderful things that we enjoy, perhaps sometimes we even take for granted. But we do lift up, Lord, the leadership of our country. We pray uh, for President Joe Biden. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would guide his heart. We we know that... um, in, in your word it says that the heart of the king is like a stream. You just guide that sh- his heart wherever it goes. And I pray that you would do that. Uh, pray for Kamala Harris. Pray for the cabinet. Uh, we pray for Congress and our Supreme Court. Uh, Lord, there is so much going on in our nation. But we do ask, God, that you would continue. As, as we often sing, God God shed his grace on thee. God shed your grace on ...abroad in our country, that we may continue to enjoy the freedoms that we have... ...and that we would use those uh, in ways that bring glory and honor to you. Lord, we lift up our own state uh, government. We pray for Greg Abbott, uh, for those that are a part of the Texas legislature... ...for those who serve in any capacity. And Lord, we pray for our own leadership inside our church. Lord, that both outside the church there would be no external trouble... ...that would cause us problems... But furthermore, inside the church, that we wouldn't bring problems upon ourselves, but we would seek to walk in in accordance with your word, your revealed will, uh, and in doing so that we might um, further your kingdom. God, thank you once again for our mediator. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me.